The 22-year drought is over, and the Kansas City Chiefs capture their first playoff game during that time span. The route in Houston, 30-0 against the Texans. Feels pretty good to be a sports fan in Kansas City. And if you're a Chiefs fan right now, uh, hey, like I said, you're feeling pretty good about yourself at the moment. I'm Farzim Vesuyan. Thank you for listening to the Chiefs on Podcast. Appreciate you guys downloading and listening to the show and making it part of your day. Be sure you guys do subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And also like my Facebook page. Search Farzim Vesuyan. Give it a like and interact with me on there. Or you guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzim21. Hey, exciting times right now. R- really. There's there's no, no other way to describe the feeling right now. Just how ecstatic Chiefs fans are. Uh... And listen, you could tell just how pumped up Chiefs fans were for this game when you you heard the national anthem right before the game, which was televised, which is pretty cool. Chiefs fans were heard loud and clearly at the end of the national anthem, and Mike Tarico even pointed it out on the broadcast on ESPN when Chiefs fans at the end of the national anthem, Chiefs fans roared at the end of it. And look, Texans fans left early in the game. And ESPN aired several crowd shots of Chiefs fans that gathered behind the Chiefs' sidelines. Uh, the Royals, uh, of course, defeated the Houston Astros in a comeback in the MLB playoffs. Sporting KC beat Houston in a U.S. Open Cup match. And after that, the Chiefs won a playoff game against the Houston Texans. So, oh, by the way, KU, which, by the way, it is Lawrence is considered part of the Kansas City era, but listen, KU, K-State, Mizzou, uh, there's, there's some controversy about this because of the KU and OU game last week, the, the crazy triple overtime game, and how Brett Musburger considered KU as a Kansas City team because he, he mentioned the Royals won a World Series, the Chiefs are in the playoffs, and KU's ranked number one, so he, he, kinda, he basically insinuated that KU is a Kansas City team, which is absolutely true because there are more KU fans, and this is proven, this is a fact. There are more KU fans in the Kansas City area than MU and Kansas State fans combined. And that's not me trying to pump up the Jayhawk Nation or anything, even though I'm a KU fan in grad and all. I still think K-State and MU, I think they're considered Kansas City teams. Sure, MU is a St. Louis team as well. I think that's common for colleges to be to have a strong contingency of fans in multiple big markets. So with that said... You saw the Royals do it to the Astros. Sporting KC did it. The Chiefs did it to the Texans. Later, right after the Chiefs' victory, KU defeated Texas Tech and Lubbock. So not only is Kansas City dominating Houston, the local sports teams are beating Texas apart one by one in just about every single sport. Texas Tech, not in Houston. Of course, it's in Lubbock and KU in Lawrence, Lawrence, Kansas. Again, still part of the Kansas City area. I think it's fair to say that the city of Houston and a few other parts of Texas hate Kansas City sports teams right now. But hey, I mean, that's that's what pure dominance feels like. So it's good to see the local sports teams really just play so high at a, at a big level and get all this national attention and praise. We'll recap the big win over the Texans as the Chiefs shut out Houston on the road. Jeremy Macklin's injury, what's the latest on that? Uh, while the Chiefs did win... Uh, there was some bad uh, that came with it, and that, of course, is Macklin's injury. But throughout the week, a lot has come out, and it's not as bad as we all thought it would be. I'll tell you guys the details on that later and why there's a pretty good chance that he will play this week, and you should feel good about that. Uh, a couple of 
people from the Chiefs have been requested for interviews. And listen, uh, this is common for teams that do well. So that's great that the Chiefs are a team that other franchises are looking at to see uh, who they can bring in. And I'll talk about who those guys are and what value they bring for other teams. But let's start with the win in Houston. The game kicked off. Uh, the, well, I should say the NFL playoffs really kicked off with a bang when Niall Davis went 106 yards for a touchdown on a kickoff return. Uh, Chiefs go up 7 to nothing, 11 seconds into the match. And listen, that was enough to win as Houston was held scoreless in the game. Big up to Dave Tobe having DeAnthony Thomas absent. Of course, that's hurt Kansas City. Uh, of course, there's a personal thing going on there, so we don't know much there. And Niall Davis has been pretty quiet, not just offensively as two other players, two unknowns stepped up in front of him and have carried the role at the running back position. But even on special teams, he, he had a very quiet year. But he came through at the right time. And Davis's kick return is the second in franchise history to go back for a touchdown in the postseason. The other one being Dante Hall in the 2003-2004 season in the playoffs against the Colts in the no-punt game. Also, Niles' return was the fifth kickoff return to go for a touchdown in the postseason in postseason history. Last time that happened was in Super Bowl 41 when Devin Hester returned the opening kickoff 92 yards for a score despite Chicago not being able to win that game. By the way, guess who was the special teams coordinator for the Bears that year when uh, when Devin Hester took that kick return back? Same guy as right now for Kansas City, Dave Tobe. This guy's got some sort of magic with postseason kick return touchdowns, I guess. So that's a good thing. I'll I'll take that any day here in Kansas City. And a lot of people talking about how they're surprised Dave Tobe is not a high candidate for a head coaching position, and he's going to get it. Listen, John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator for Andy Reid at one point, and look where he is now, won a Super Bowl eventually. So I think Dave Tobe, he's not one of the two guys that I – that I referred to uh, just a moment ago, but I'm surprised he isn't one of those guys that's getting reached out more. And Andy Reid had admitted to that in a press conference earlier this year. Nonetheless, the Chiefs do get off to a 7-0 start in this game. The offense unable to take some chances of big opportunities in the first half. Smith overthrew Albert Wilson by about a foot, maybe half of that, on a deep pass that would have made it 14-0, to which uh, those kinds of leads are huge, especially on the road in the NFL, especially in a playoff scenario. Uh, instead, the Chiefs mustered uh, a couple of drives that led to field goals in the first half. No offensive touchdowns, and Smith did commit an interception early in the game, but didn't hurt the Chiefs too badly. The defense held strong, though, forcing four turnovers in the first half. Brian Hoyer threw three picks and fumbled once in the first half, which, by the way, the Texans were down just 13-0 at halftime. And Bill O'Brien, the head coach of the Texans, he didn't go to the, to the bullpen. I mean, baseball, if your pitcher is struggling, you go to the bullpen, you bring out your relief pitcher. I understand in, in, in football that's not the same logic there. I mean, you're, you're, you don't change a guy due to – because in baseball, obviously, you substitute a guy, he's done for the game. But in football, listen, if you're in the playoffs and your quarterback is struggling, you've got to do something about it, and Bill O'Brien didn't. So he kept him in there. Uh, he uh, Hoyer throws another interception, 
And by the time he uh, Brandon Whedon warms up, it, it's too late at that point. Too late. Texans fans have left. Chiefs fans are doing the tomahawk chop. Justin Houston on the sidelines turning around and doing the tomahawk chop with the fans. Not even concerned about the game at this point. So the defense really did come out, come out strong in this game. Josh Maga had the defensive play of the day for me when in the first half, uh, I was about to say Brandon Whedon, but Brian Hoyer threw a pick in the red zone Within striking distance, really, and Manga goes 20 yards and uh, avoid having the offense begin a drive within their own five-yard line. That was a big point as it prevented Houston from, number one, getting points. Number two, possibly building momentum. So holding Houston to zero points was big in this game as, uh, listen, I heard a high school coach say this, and I think this still holds true at any level of football. If they don't score, they don't win. And the Houston Texans didn't score. The Chiefs weren't necessarily pretty on offense. They got going in the second half. But at the end of the day, the defense held the Texans to zero points. You do that, you don't need your offense go out there and score a ton of points. And listen, when you're in a big spotlight in the playoffs, I'm a fan of not putting too much on tape for opposing teams to see for the Broncos or the Patriots. At the time, of course, we didn't know. Now we know it is the Patriots. Uh, but you don't want to put something on film to let the Patriots know what your team is made of. Uh, unless it's a close game. Look, pull out all stops. But in this case, it was it was a shutout. Andy Reid didn't need to go to every big key play in the playbook to help the Chiefs come away with a playoff win. I mentioned Josh Munga had a pick. Sean Smith, Marcus Peters, and Eric Perry all had interceptions in the game. Uh, Dontari Poe came up with a fumble recovery. And, and by the way, speaking of uh, a surprise, not switching to, to Whedon, right before the MAGA interception, the Texans ran some strange wildcat play where J.J. Watt was the quarterback and Vince Wilford came in. Uh, I, I have no idea what that play was. I, I get that J.J. Watt is like a fullback size-wise if he was an offensive player. I mean, that's a guy who you can basically give him the football and it would take three or four guys to take him down, which that was required for the Chiefs to do, but still held him to no gain. So I have no idea what the game plan was. I, I think the idea was, hey, look, J.J. Watt is a heavy guy. The Chiefs can't take him now, but he's got to get a, a push. And that never happened on that play. And I, I don't know what Vince Wilfork's commitment was to that play either I, I i don't i don't really know but speaking of jj watt he was a non-factor against the chiefs in that wild card game espn noted he finished with fewer solo tackles than four of houston's offensive players he did get hurt and left the game early eric fisher played really well against jj watt and and listen uh if fisher didn't face him in week one that was actually jaw reed who did and jaw reed allowed a couple of sacks uh but the injury, uh, you know, there, there was some controversy there for a, a moment because he, he he was a little rough on that play. But listen, it, it wasn't anything intentional. He's got to go 100% each play. I think the fans, you know, what I'm referring to is that they replayed it on the big screen and Texans fans booed the living heck out of Eric Fisher. The video board then shows Eric Fisher on the sidelines, which I don't know why you're showing players of the opposing team on. 
uh, on your big screen. Listen, having knowing people within uh, the Royals and the Chiefs, they don't put Peyton Manning or any any baseball player going up against the Royals. They don't put those players up on the big board. Especially in a situation like that. I mean, maybe if they're walking up to the plate at Coffin Stadium, maybe you show the opposing player for just a moment. But in a situation like that where an injury was caused and the player just made a, just happened to cause the injury, not again, not intentionally, why are you showing that? And then again, Texans fans are booing Eric Fisher because their beloved defensive end, the best defensive player in the National Football League, just got hurt. Listen, I think that's just Texans fans being a little oversensitive that their best player was hurt in that, quite honestly, Houston was getting owned by Kansas City. Houston's got a great Houston's got a great team overall. I was about to say a great defense, but they've got a great football team overall. Got great wide receivers. DeAndre Hopkins held quiet in this game. I think Nate Washington can do some things as well, but that team needs a quarterback. And Bill O'Brien, if he's got common sense like a head coach should... He's got to go after a quarterback this offseason because this Texans team, they could be a quarterback away from holding the Chiefs to not even getting that playoff win, possibly going on the road and coming away with an upset. I think that's how much potential this Houston team has. Uh, Sure, the Colts were uh, going through a a setback season, but I think the, the Texans can make a surge next year if they make the right adjustments under center. With that said, uh, you know, the J.J. Watt injury, I mean, look, it's not like he was having a great game anyway. Eric Fisher had an incredible game. And by the way, with Eric Fisher, I've got to say, the thing with Eric Fisher is this is a guy who got off to a really great start in 2014, his second year, against some good pass rushers, but just couldn't be consistent. Consistency has been a big issue with Eric Fisher. If we get the same Eric Fisher that we saw in the beginning of 2014 or, or in this playoff game against elite pass rushers, this is a this is a big time take at the number one spot for the Chiefs in 2013. A, a draft class that really was not very highly touted. Now at this point, uh, I, I think Eric Fisher could be a valuable number one overall pick if he continues to play like this. And that's a big if because we're still waiting for that consistency because the bus label has been all over him. It's been taken away lately because he's played better this season uh, to play like a number one overall pick. That was a number one overall offensive tackle that I saw against the Houston Texans. Now, the Chiefs offense, like I said, got going in the second half. Alex Smith, very effective in play-action passes. The Chiefs did more of that in the second half, going 8 of 9 for 83 yards and a touchdown. And uh, that was Chris Conley, the the touchdown pass, capped off an up-and-down 11-play, 94-yard drive. That's the same drive Jeremy Macklin got hurt, uh, which I'll uh, dive into later. But the rookie... Steps up big, comes through to help the Chiefs get their first offensive touchdown of the game. And Travis Kelsey was also a major impact player in this game on offense, pulling in eight catches for 128 yards, more than 60% of the uh, passing production there for the Chiefs. Manufacturing 73 yards after the catch. Sharkandrick West and Spencer Ware, the running max, combined for 93 yards. Ware led with 67, also got a touchdown in the second half. Alex Smith scrambled five times for 27 yards and had that big run that was called back. Uh, listen, his ability to run could really hurt the pass this this Saturday when the two teams face off for the first time ever 
in the playoffs, and I'll get into that later as well. But the offense came through in the second half while the defense continued to silence the Texans. And they did a good job against DeAndre Hopkins, who was limited to just 69 yards off six receptions. Overall, uh, like I said, what else can you say about the defense? Uh, they did their job, uh, held the Texans scoreless all game long. The Chiefs got 30 points, and maybe not the prettiest way to get 30 points. Uh, listen, uh, by the way, special teams was great. Cairo Santos, a pair of field goals from 49 yards, finished 3 of 3. But as far as the offense and missed opportunities go, eh, there were indeed missed opportunities. But the offense was responsible for putting together 23 of the 30 points. When you shut out your opponent, like I said earlier, it doesn't matter much, does it? Missed opportunities are common in the NFL. Look at the Steelers this past weekend, who, to me, have the best offense in the AFC. They missed plenty of chances to make their lead grow against the Bengals. And, by the way, almost blew that game, uh, which they were able to get back. But still, the Steelers had plenty of chances to go up in that game, but they didn't. Their lead did not grow by much. Every NFL team has missed opportunities. And I agree that the Chiefs need to make sure that, especially this weekend, against a top-notch team, they've got to be on their toes and bring their A game and limit those missed opportunities. But listen, in the NFL, offenses if offenses succeeded on every quote-unquote opportunity, we'd be seeing teams score in the 50s and... NFL offenses, they, they, they don't score on every single drive. To come away with 23 points from the offense, including those three field goals, that's pretty good on the road. And again, as long as your defense is shutting them down, that's fine. I'll take that any day on the road, especially in a playoff game. Now, the Macklin injury looked like a knee injury at first. Trainers were checking out his knee when it happened, trying to see if there was anything wrong with the ACL, reports came out that it was a high ankle sprain on Sunday. Monday night, NFL Network reported that Macklin is, quote, expected to play. Tuesday, Andy Reid said it was a mild ankle sprain and that he could play on Saturday, even without practicing. And then on Wednesday, Jeremy Macklin did participate, or uh, pardon me, uh, was at the practice facility, I should say. And according to uh, Danny Parkins of 610 Sports Radio, uh, when he was at the practice facility, he saw Jeremy Macklin, uh, I don't know if he was going up or down uh, on a staircase. Regardless, Parkins was making the point that Macklin was moving somewhat quickly. It wasn't like in a hurry, but he was moving somewhat at a faster speed, more above normal speed on, his, uh, on the stairs. So if he's able to do that, I think the mild day ankle sprain and the whole expected to play report... I, I, I think it, it, it's good news. Uh, it could have been a torn ACL. That's what everyone's fear was. But it seems to be an ankle injury instead. So obviously we'll take that. And the Chiefs really do need that because this is a, a guy who could really do some damage against New England's secondary. Now, center Mitch Morse and guard Laurent Duvernay-Tardif Yet to practice, on going through the concussion protocol. Hopefully those guys return soon because Kansas City will need this offensive line this week against the Patriots. Now, potential hirees for other teams. The Chiefs are getting permission 
or, or have been asked for permission to uh, have some of their figures interviewed on other teams. Titans received permission to interview Chris Ballard from the Chiefs. Ballard was hired in 2013 and as director of player personnel, was promoted to director of football ops this past May. He was the director of pro scouting for the Chicago Bears for 12 years, where he helped draft pro bowlers Matt Forte, Johnny Knox, Charles Tillman, Tommy Harris, Nathan Vasher, and Devin Hester. Uh, offensive coordinator Doug Peterson interviewed by the Eagles on Sunday, and Peterson played for several teams, mostly as a backup, played for Green Bay when Andy Reid was an assistant, then played for Reid in Philadelphia in Reid's first year there, started nine games before McNabb took over, which was the same year McNabb was drafted. He joined the Eagles, and this is Peterson, he joined the Eagles coaching staff in 09 as the offensive quality control coach, then quickly promoted to the QB's coach within two years, and here he is in Kansas City where he got his first stab at an uh, offensive coordinator position, and now getting a call with the Eagles to be the head coach. I, I Listen, I, I don't know if Doug Peterson can ha- really help the Eagles turn them around as a head coach. I, I think there are certain things he can bring to the table. Maybe that NFL mindset that Chip Kelly just did not have and tried to do something that gimmick that just didn't work with Oregon. Uh, as far as Chris Ballard goes, this is not one that you can really evaluate because, let's face it, we don't evaluate front office guys, or director of player personnel or pro scouting guys. But listen, Chris Ballard is a guy who has a history of success as a, as a guy who's worked uh, trying to help teams draft. And if he's been able to do it successfully for years now, then why not? I, I think the Titans could have a good guy in him for general manager. And again... This is common for teams when they are succeeding. And the Chiefs are one of those teams that's, again, having a remarkable season with 11 straight wins. In the past couple of years, the franchise has turned around above 500 each season. And in those cases, listen, you're going to have other teams that are going to want to figure out, hey, look, why did Kansas City go from a two-win team to winning nine or 11 games in each of those three years? Chiefs go from 11 wins to nine wins to 11 wins. So the Chiefs found a way to turn that franchise around, and there are guys here who assistants that have played a big hand in it, and other NFL teams want to give them an opportunity to have a bigger role to turn their franchise around. So that's common in sports, and uh, it looked good for the Chiefs. Uh, they'll be able to replace those guys. Uh, there's no doubt about it. At the same time, you hope for the best because every assistant wants that big job one day as a head coach or a general manager. I mean, Charlie Weiss once said, any guy who leaves his staff, he's happy for because those guys deserve it. I mean, they work hard. They, they did their due diligence. Uh, they, they pay their dues. Uh, they, I mean, they, they know what the job entails, and they're ready for it. And there are a couple of guys that I want to touch on who got new head coaching jobs this week, and they're, they're very deserving of the opportunity. It's time for the Around the NFL segment. All right, one of those new head coaches is Adam Gase, and he absolutely deserves to be a coach. And here's my thing. I'm always hesitant when assistants become a head coach because you don't know much about them in their past. Sure, you could always look up and see what they've done in the past, but again, assistants, they don't always do well on their first try. Adam Gase is a guy who deserves to be a head coach, could have easily taken a head coaching job a long time ago, didn't. 
He was in Denver where, listen, Peyton Manning can make any offensive coordinator look good. Look at Jim Caldwell. But listen, at the end of the day, Adam Gase came over to Chicago along with John Fox. And Jay Cutler looked great. Looked like one of the best QBs this season. Now, Chicago, of course, couldn't finish, but Jay Cutler played really great this season. And looked a lot better towards the end of the year. And that's why Adam Gase is so highly coveted by a lot of teams, or I I should say was coveted, to become a head coach. This is starting to look a lot like the Jay Cutler that the Broncos were expecting when they drafted him in 2006 and the first round, 11th pick overall. This is the Jay Cutler that we've been waiting to see. Scouts saw this Jay Cutler coming out of Vanderbilt and better than late than never, I guess. And Adam Gase did a great job. He deserves a lot of credit for how Jay Cutler did this season. Hugh Jackson, another new head coach coming in. Now, he's been a head coach before with the Oakland Raiders. Now, listen, should we really judge people for how they were the head coach of the Oakland Raiders under Al Davis? There's all this talk about how Al Davis, he was in a hurry because realistically he knew he didn't have a lot of time left and he wanted to see one more championship with the Raiders and it just didn't happen. Didn't happen. Now, with the exception of Lane Kiffin, can we really judge Tom Cable, Hugh Jackson, North Turner, all those guys who were with the Raiders during their time with Oakland? Listen, if you coached the Oakland Raiders, I think you deserve a second spot somewhere else, a second chance at another city because the Raiders are just not a fair place to go to. At least that was the case under Al Davis. New ownership, new management. They took their time doing a better job, and now you see more success with the Raiders. And I've said this before, if you listen to the podcast, this Raiders team is going to be dangerous for years to come. Now, the other piece of news I want to go into, the Rams approved for Los Angeles. The Chargers have the option to go to L.A. The Raiders, of all teams, staying in Oakland. And listen, I, I I really wish there was a way for some of these major markets to get a, a, a an NFL team. Oklahoma City, San Antonio, Omaha, Vegas, which is very doubtful because we know why with the betting there. Uh, Wichita, Kansas. And listen, Wichita has a higher estimated population than New Orleans. And is just behind Cleveland, Minneapolis, and Oakland and Miami when it comes to population. So overall, it would be cool if every major market had an NFL team. It's just not realistic. The NFL has no interest in adding more teams. Instead, they're going to focus on relocation. And surprisingly, it's the Rams and maybe the Chargers, not the Raiders, who are in desperate need of a new stadium. Now, I will say this. For, for, for a per, from a personal deal, I am sad to see that St. Louis no longer has an NFL team. I know people in the Kansas City area just have this big vendetta. Maybe it's a Missouri thing. I don't know. Uh, Kansas City sports, you know, Royals, Chiefs, versus the Cardinals, Rams, all those teams. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but to me, I love the city of St. Louis. I, I think it's a beautiful city, great place. I, I've, I've been there once. Uh, really wanted to go back again, especially to check out Ballpark Village, which is similar to Power and Light. Uh, but... I, I don't know, man. It, it, to me, when I see this, 
I hate to see a city just just have an NFL team taken away. There's the city of St. Louis is having a gathering where Rams fans can gather, bring their Rams gear, burn it or bury it. Apparently, they're gonna have wood chippers and bulldozers there and a bonfire. Yeah, I mean they're they're taking this to heart. So I'm sad to see the city of St. Louis lose an NFL team. I hope they get another one down the road. It might be a while, but gosh, man, I mean that's a pretty big market. You've got to have an NFL team there. So overall, it is sad to see. Uh, It's just a reality. It it won't be the first time that it'll happen. I mean, teams have moved and and, and left and arrived back and forth many times in in all of sports. So I hope a city like St. Louis does end up getting another team one day. All right, let's move on to the New England Patriots. And I'm going to start off with a couple injury notes here from New England. Left tackle Sebastian Vollmer, who's allowed seven and a half sacks this year, has an ankle injury, expected to play. Julian Edelman hasn't played since week 10 due to a foot injury. Danny Amendola missed a couple of games throughout the year, had a quiet end of the season, but he's expected to be back, as is Julian Edelman. Uh, Gronkowski was limited in practice on Wednesday because of a knee, did not practice on Tuesday, which is pretty interesting to a lot of people. And by the way, something that's going on off the field, the Boston Globe reported Chandler Jones, defensive end who was leading the team in sacks, seeked medical help after using synthetic marijuana. So uh, he seems to be okay. It doesn't seem like he's going to be held away from the practice or playing this week. So uh, he is expected to play. Um, but, you know, people always talk about distractions. I, I don't think it's going to affect the team like the Patriots. It's really not. Uh, they have had a lot of players going the IR. Nate Soldier, a, a valuable offensive lineman who's been there for years. Deion Lewis, who was having a great season in, in the backfield. A great running back for the Patriots, which you don't ever hear much about in New England because it's all about, it's all about Tom Brady in the passing game. But Deion Lewis did a lot of special things. And unfortunately, his season came to an end. So did LeGarrette Blount. And right now, you're relying on the passing attack if you're the New England Patriots. You really are. Because at running back right now, with Lewis and Blount suffering season-ending injuries, you have James White, who has just one start at running back this year. And Brandon Bolden has two starts. Bolden has 207 yards in the regular season. Uh, The most yards he had was 51 against the Texans off 16 carries for a 3.2 yard per carry average, which is is not great. He had a 3.3 yard per carry average during the season. Now, looking at the offense, obviously they're going to pass a lot. They're the third worst in the NFL in running. They're fifth in the NFL in passing. Brady is in the top five in passing yards, quarterback rating, and led the NFL in touchdown passes this year. Shocker to everyone, of course, Uh, and I say that sarcastically, but you look at the passing attack, and again, keep in mind, these are guys who have dealt with injuries and, and weren't able to play to their full potential because okay, they've missed a couple, some time, a couple of games, some of them longer. Gronkowski, 1,176 receiving yards, 11 touchdowns. I mean, this is a tough guy. Julian Edelman, who missed, who hasn't played since week 10, 692 yards and 7 touchdowns, which is really impressive for a guy who... Again, only played in the first 10 weeks of the NFL season. Danny Amendola, again, another key contributor on offense. 648 yards and three touchdowns on the year for the Patriots. Patriots scored 
nearly 30 points per game this season. Fewest giveaways in the NFL. In fact, the Chiefs and the Pats, the two best teams in the NFL when it comes to giveaways. Patriots had 14 in the regular season. Chiefs had just 15. So, obviously very similar in that aspect. However, the Chiefs have had more takeaways this year. 29 to be exact to New England's 21. The Chiefs finished with a positive 14 turnover differential comparing to New England's positive 7. The Chiefs led the AFC in interceptions with 22. They had 4 last week. And yes, it was Brian Hoyer, but still... Uh, you've got to do some things to make those uh, those interceptions happen. And the Chiefs are more than capable of doing that this week against Tom Brady. You look at the defensive side of the football. Uh, the Chiefs concluded this year 7th in total defense. The Pats were ninth. Chandler Jones, again, expected to play. He can make life tough for quarterbacks. He's beat linemen to get to 12.5 sacks this year. That's the 5th. Most in the NFL, 12 and a half sacks from Chandler Jones. Jabal Sheard, the next biggest playmaker on defense, has eight sacks, four sacks, and three forced fumbles in the month of December for Jabal Sheard. And by the way, Jabal Sheard was teammates with John Baldwin, uh, first-round draft pick for the Chiefs in 2011. Uh, both played at Pittsburgh, both drafted the same year out of Pittsburgh, going one, of course, coming to Kansas City. And Baldwin, which we all know how that went. And then Jabal Sheard going to New England. Now, Jamie Collins, the Sam linebacker for the Patriots, led the team in tackles with 89. Had five and a half sacks, five forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery that's gone for a touchdown. Also blocked a field goal against the Colts on Sunday night football this past year. So, uh, by the way, on that block, he had great timing when he leaped over. Kind of like Cam Chancellor does, uh, especially when he did it last year in the playoffs. So, they've got some playmakers up front now. As far as the secondary goes, uh, not, a, not, a, not a threatening secondary. You've got cornerbacks Devin McCourty and Patrick Chung. Safeties Malcolm Butler and Ryan Logan. Ryan Logan leads the team in interceptions. Speaking of interceptions, uh, I, I just said Logan has four. Butler had two in the regular season. McCourty had one and Patrick Chung had zero. All of those guys... Uh, the starters in the secondary combined for seven interceptions. Marcus Peters alone has more interceptions, had eight this in his rookie season. He had eight picks alone, which is more than New England's starting secondary. Now you look at special teams, Steven Goskowski, easily the best kicker in the NFL the past two years. He's 33 of 36 this year, longest went from 57 yards. He made all 52 extra point attempts. He is one of six kickers to make them all after a touchdown. Uh, as far as the return game goes, uh, several guys have been have had to do it because of injuries. Uh, you had Julian Edelman, who once returned a punt for a touchdown against Kansas City last time these two teams played in New England. That was on Monday Night Football. By the way, the last two times these two teams played in the regular season, it was in 2011 on Monday Night Football, and then on Monday Night Football again last year when the Chiefs got the noise record, uh, taking it back from Seattle. So... These two teams just seem to have a thing uh, to play each other uh, on a big spotlight. Two Monday Night Football games and now a playoff game in the NFL. First time that he, these two teams playing in the playoffs. But again, multiple guys who, who have returned uh, this year, punts and kickoffs for New England. Julian Edelman, like I said, uh, returned a punt for a touchdown against Kansas City last time the team these two teams played in Foxborough. That was in 2011 on Monday Night Football. Danny Amendola has done it a bit. Keyshawn Martin has also been involved. 
but no matter who's returning it for the Patriots, none of them have really shined or have proved to be uh, an electric guy or someone to worry about. So uh, nothing to worry about when it comes to New England's return game. The Patriots, they win this game if, if they defend the short passes. Listen, the Chiefs' passing game, uh, they make a living by moving the chains with short passes. Uh, they've been going deep more, yes, but it's still more, more likely that they'll do short passes, especially with the weather as rain is expected throughout the entire game. Now, the Patriots also got a block. New England does not have a very superior offensive line. They will have a lot of players to deal with and account for. Obviously, Tom Bahali and Justin Houston, D. Ford has been playing really well lately, especially in that playoff game. He got involved a bit. Even coming in to rotate with the starters at outside linebacker. But you have Dontari Poe, Jay Howard, Alan Bailey. Jay Howard and Alan Bailey were the ones who got the sacks for the Chiefs last week. So even on games where Holly and Houston are quiet, you've still got Jay Howard and Alan Bailey who can come through uh, the outside or maybe even through the middle and get to the quarterback. Mike DeVito, also a very good run stopper. The Chiefs had 47 sacks this year. That's fourth in the NFL. By the way, Justin Houston missed five games. Plus, he left very early in the Buffalo game, so Houston essentially missed six games. And the Chiefs still were fourth in the NFL in sacks with 47. Also consider Tom Bahali's slow start to the season. I mean, that's how scary this Chiefs defense is when they are healthy and together. Now... Let's let's not get too carried away because New England can also be dangerous when they are healthy and together. The, these guys that they're getting back, Gronkowski, I mean, Gronkowski, he's, he's been back, but in full form at least, because it is kind of questionable for him right now. He was limited. And Jeremy Macklin, by the way, was a full participant in Wednesday's practice. Thursday will be the last day for the Chiefs as they will travel on Friday to go to New England. Uh, but as far as the Chiefs, they can win this game if the front seven gets to Brady. Like I said, the Patriots are going to be getting a lot of guys back. Edelman, Amendola, hopefully uh, Sebastian Vollmer. And that, would, uh, that would actually be good for Kansas City. Like I said, uh, that's not a very value. That's not a very good offensive line. Now I, I mentioned Edelman and Amendola because the Patriots were undefeated when they had Edelman and Amendola. When the Patriots lost. Four of their last six, it was due to the absence of, of some of these guys. Now, here's the thing with Edelman and Amendola, and again, I know I know the rain's going to come into play, but still, I I don't think the rain's going to change what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick want to do with this offense. They're still going to throw the ball deep. Now, at the same time, deep passes they take time to develop, and if Kansas City's front seven gets there to Tom Brady, that is in, in the pocket before those passing plays can develop, which is very doable against this weak offensive line that Brady has blocking for him. Brady's either going to take sacks or throw ill-advised passes. And as we saw last week, throwing ill-advised passes against the Chiefs, that's not a very good idea. And if Gronkowski's available, I'm thinking a lot of Brady's passes will be to Gronk. I I think he's going to be the big target for New England, I'm willing to bet he catches anywhere from 10 to 12 passes, will be targeted 15 times because Brady can't rely on the deep passing game to Edelman and Amendola unless they adjust, which I'm sure they'll do. I mean, it's Belichick, let's not forget that. 
But at the same time, I think you're going to go to Gronkowski more because that's who you can rely on your tight end when you're getting the pass rush. So that's probably going to be your first read. And by the time the pass rush is getting to you, you've got to throw the football, and that may be your only read. So the Patriots are definitely going to adjust and, and try to rely on shorter passes, more so to Gronkowski than any, anyone else. But the, the Chiefs do have the ingredients and the best defense possible against an elite QB like Tom Brady. Now, the Chiefs offensive line has to block. Eric Fisher, phenomenal game against J.J. Watt. I mentioned that earlier. Watt is easily the best defensive player in the game, and Fisher owned him. Now, we've got to see Fisher do it again, especially against a very good defensive end in Chandler Jones. Now, with the Chiefs, hopefully they get Morris and DuVernay Tardif because that would go a long way for Smith. By the way, the Patriots defense, I do need to note, I mentioned the Chiefs have the fourth most sacks with 47. The Patriots defense has 49 sacks. That's the second most in the NFL behind Denver's 52. So that offensive line's got to come through for Alex Smith. My prediction, this is tough. Some commonalities between these two teams in certain areas, uh, and it makes sense because they're both here in the playoffs. Andy Reid has been in this situation before. He dug the Chiefs out of that playoff drought. He led Philadelphia to many conference title games in the NFC, five to be exact. Andy Reid is 5-2 and two all-time in the divisional round. This is going to be his first time playing in in an AFC divisional round. He's 1-4 all-time against Bill Belichick. He's 0-4 as the head coach of the Eagles against Belichick, but 1-0 as a member of the Chiefs against Bill. And I say he becomes 2-0. I think KC's front seven is impossible to stop. Even if Houston and Holly are kept in check, I said earlier, Jay Howard and Alan Bailey tend to apply pressure and pick up the slack. And they'll get the sacks. Kansas City's front seven has yet to have a bad game this year. And that can completely mess up Tom Brady and this offense. And listen, if you want to go even more optimistic, maybe the weather does hurt. Help, well, maybe it does hurt Tom Brady and helps the Chiefs even more. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. And again, Belichick's going to devise a plan to adjust because he, he of all people, know that the pressure is coming. He knows. So they'll try for short, quick passes, like I said, to Gronk. And maybe they'll try it to Edelman and, and uh, Amendola as well, too. But I think you still have to worry about guys like Josh Manga and Derek Johnson, the inside linebackers, who play good cover defense and can come up with a turnover, too. So sure, you can go with those short passes, but it's not going to be easy because Manga is one of the better guys in the NFL in coming up with short-range interceptions, and Derek Johnson's uh, capable of that as well. Kansas City's depth overall, especially at safety with Eric Berry, Tyvon Branch, who's really pulled through during Hussein Abdullah's absence. And by the way, Hussein Abdullah recently returned. The safety help will be there for the Chiefs. Marcus Peters and Sean Smith are going to need safety help. And you can definitely rely on Eric Berry and company to be able to do that. Offensively, I know that's where the nerves come in. I still think Alex Smith can operate this offense well, with or without Macklin. I think Chris Conley and Albert Wilson are very underrated. Both have great speed. Let's not forget, Conley came in, and on that same drive, when Macklin went down with an injury, caught that touchdown pass. Wilson's speed is a very dangerous thing to deal with, and it's hard to stop. If he and Alex Smith are in uniform, 
then that barely overthrown pass, like the one we saw last week, that could have made it a 14-0 game, those won't be made. And you can assure those two worked on that this week in practice because they know that the entire team, including those two, they've got to be top-notch, limit mistakes, and not miss those opportunities against a a good team like New England. It's going to be tough, though. It's not going to be easy. I mean, it, it is the New England Patriots. Very few teams have been able to stop them. That's why they've been to six Super Bowls and have won four of them since 2001. Now, the biggest key for me is Alex Smith scrambling. This is a guy who has more first downs than any quarterback when it comes to rushing. Or scrambling, I should say. More scrambling first downs than any QB in the NFL. And Alex Smith can run for a lot of yards. And I think, again, with the weather and how that's going to play out, I think Alex Smith is going to be doing a lot of that in this game. And I think that's really what Kansas City's secret weapon is going to be, is Alex Smith moving with his feet against the New England defense. I don't think New England's defense is going to be ready for it. You're going to have that pass rush. A lot of people are going to try to blitz. And then that opens up a big hole for Alex Smith to run and gash through this New England defense. And I think that's going to be the biggest difference maker now. The other biggest difference maker is the turnovers. Both Tom Brady and Alex Smith do a great job taking care of the football. Both of them, each of them, threw seven picks this year. So I think it's also going to come down to who makes the more crucial turnover. And Alex Smith has got to make sure he's accurate in this game. Kind of threw a bad pass to, I think it was Jeremy Macklin or Albert Wilson, I don't remember who, which was tipped, and that was picked off by the Texans. Thankfully, no harm. But listen, if Tom Brady gets a takeaway, if Tom Brady's defense gets a takeaway, he's going to take advantage of that. Much better than Brian Hoyer will ever do. But I think Kansas City's defense will hold strong, and the offense will limit mistakes and use use some weaknesses and try to surprise New England and do some things that they may not see coming. I've got Kansas City in a low-scoring game, 17-14. to 14. Able to get through this podcast with the voice. Sorry for the rough voice on this podcast. If you listen all the way through the 40-plus minutes, God bless you. I appreciate you guys listening. I mean, you guys are, have been great this season. And yes, I, I, I'll admit, I, my voice kind of got carried away with that game. But what, what are you going to do? First playoff win in 22 years, I, I think everyone's going to celebrate and enjoy. Hopefully celebrate responsibly, too. That'll do it for this edition of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I'm Farzine Vasugian. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell a friend about it. Also, like my Facebook page. Search for Farzine Vasugian. A lot of new Facebook likes this week, which is always great and appreciated. And also, follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Again, KC, I've got him in this one, 17-14 on the road in Foxborough. And hopefully, we'll be back recapping a Chiefs win, and moving on to the AFC title game. Until then, I'm Farzine Vesugian. Enjoy your weekend of football. Talk to you next week.